Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around us. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Simply follow us on all our social media, the Zero Network on Facebook. There you can see all archive shows and listen and comment. Also, follow us on Twitter at Zera Radio, at Z-E-R-A Radio on Twitter. That's the show handle. My personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. Follow us, subscribe, whatever you got to do on there. We are also grateful. Go visit my website, LorenzoTNeal.com. Listen to some audio sermons, video sermons. Also, get your copy of my latest book. Reflections from the Pastor Study. You can get there simply by going to that website. Thank you for all you're doing and have done and will do to make this show great. Thank you so much. If you haven't done so, I want to invite you to support me on Patreon, becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. There you can support what we do here on Zero Radio and get access to other things that we may not share on social media on the website, on the Facebook page, or anything like that. So go do that. It's a little as a dollar a month. I appreciate you so much. So today we'll be talking about the reopening of churches and the economy and what would that look like, what should pastors be doing. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to lead off with the story of the passing of Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, uh, Dr. Zacharias was an internationally acclaimed Christian apologist, lecturer, author, and uh, Christian evangelist. I listen. He was the he was the founder of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. R R Z I M. <laughs> I don't know why I'm messing that up. <laughs> I I listened to his broadcast. Oh my God! I can't tell you the number of times I listened to it over the weekends and saw lectures, um, especially when he would. Do, do these debates with uh, some with atheists, others with uh, other Christian thought leaders, and it was just amazing how he 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 was able to formulate arguments, postulations, and all of that, and articulate it very very good, so that even the most uh, profound uh, debater, logician, uh, whatever you want to call him. They, they they could rarely challenge him, and um, he he was he was uh, a part of. I think he started with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Outreach Association. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he started with them, and then um, uh, later go on to have his own international evangelistic ministry, traveling across the world. Uh, so he he was he was a wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful person. He was a philanthropist uh, and everything. Now, he did have some controversy a few years back when it was discovered that uh, his credentials, his um, academic credentials were not what he claimed they were. Now, he, he carried the title doctor and we later discovered he had an honorary doctorate and there, was some also, there were also some uh Allegations of misconduct that will I have I don't think they were ever uh, 
adjudicated or proven or whatever it may be, but you know that 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 happens in any organization just about. But he was known for uh, being a convert. He he's an Indian-born uh, person, lived in Canada, and eventually came to the United States and uh, a convert from to Christianity from Judaism. I mean, <laughs> not Judaism, Hinduism. Um, and uh, he, he he used that as a tool, and many in the evangelical community likened him to uh, C.S. Lewis. If you're not aware, C.S. Lewis converted as from an atheist and later would become perhaps the most recognized writer and in some cases Christian apologist in uh, the Christian world at the time. So a lot of people saw him as, saw Zacharias uh, as fulfilling the shoes or filling the shoes of C.S. Lewis. And Ravi Zacharias was 74 years old and he died from cancer. And there were a lot of moving tributes. One of the ones I, I saw was from um, Christian rapper Lacrae, who gave him uh, a very moving uh, tribute. And I think it might be on, oh boy, I can't, uh, several places you can find it, but I, I think I saw it on the old black church. But anyway, so uh, we uh, give our condolences to his family. We give our condolences to uh, his ministry partners and uh, staff there at RZIM. And um, I tell you, if this is any a time for the Christian voice to be heard and heralded, it is certainly now as more persons are looking for something to comfort them in this time. And I believe the gospel message is uh, uh, the best comforter there is. So uh, we solicit your prayers on behalf of them and all those who are continuing on in his work there are many other great christian apologists who are trying to keep the work going um, and i must tell you it is not easy it is not easy to be a christian apologist and try to formulate arguments uh, sound arguments to counter the disbelief and sometimes the even very ignorance that is uh, very rampant in the Christian community today. You'd be surprised, and d I'm I'm going out on a tangent now. I know I, I am going on on a tangent, but I think this is very important. Um, how biblically illiterate most individuals are in the church. Now, when I say biblically illiterate, I mean they know scriptures, they know verses, they can quote scriptures and verses all day. I know a lot of them that do that. However, they can't defend their own faith. They they don't know the um, context of a lot of the verses that they quote. And, you know, especially in this age where uh, accessibility to uh, newer versions or uh, new language uh, versions of, of the Bible is very prevalent. And some of these new language versions, even though they're easier to read, uh, take away a great deal 
of context and uh, meaning from the scriptures and because we we like to quote paraphrase and semi quote uh, you'd be surprised how many people think some some uh <laughs> some some very famous quotes are in the bible and they swear by it and they say the good book and all that but uh that's neither here nor there i just thought i'd talk about that for for a moment but anyway anywho um what else is there to go on? What is is there going on in the world today? I don't think there's much else. Robin Zacharias and of course as more states get ready to reopen there is the a bigger dilemma. Oh yes, yes, yes. Before I uh, before I uh get into I'm uh, I'm gonna say this then we'll take a break and then I'll come back and talk about the topic of the day before I get into that because I don't want to rush into it um, while we are thinking about this pandemic we must also think about how it is really in, uh, affecting our black community and last week I did talk about how uh, most blacks distrust the system uh, because of systemic injustice and um uh, you know, regarding health care, regarding treatment, and all of that, just, uh, uh, it, there's a great distrust uh, among institutional or uh, systems in this country. That, and that includes the, the church. Um, there's a great distrust. And the more I learned about the Ahmad Aubrey case and several other cases that have happened, there was a case that happened the other day in... Um, um oh my god i just lost i was just reading it uh a mother and a son were assaulted at a sam's and i'm gonna see if i can pull it up real quick y'all just gotta excuse me uh i may have closed that tab up oh okay here it is so this happened this happened um, a couple of days ago, and which I'll look it up. All right, now it's in the Missouri area, uh, the St. Louis, Greater St. Louis area. Um, a sixty-year, sixty-eight-year-old uh, Missouri woman and her son were caught on camera being aggressively <laughs> aggressively arrested I'll use that word aggressively arrested at a Sam's store in uh, the Missouri area where they were by four white officers now here's the story the young man the, uh, uh, the grandmother's grandson or son I, I it depends on what story oh okay her son uh, bought a television and was seen by one of the police officers taking the television out of the Sam store to his vehicle and that the officer was informed that somebody had stolen the television uh, and just perceived that this guy walking out of the store was the 
was the person that had committed the crime. And, of course, they were told that that was not the person, but yet they were still, <laughs> they, you know, they just assumed it. So what happened was that uh, the, the mother and son were going back to get a refund. They had purchased a television. The staff at Sam said that they had he had purchased a television. He was going back to refund, return the television when the officers grabbed him, throwing him to the floor, beating them, handcuffing them, then arresting them. All right. Uh, the son said, uh, or the the grandson of the grandmother, the the son's son, said that the television was bought in March. But they could not fit it into their vehicle. So they came back to, when he came back, the employees falsely accused him of stealing it. But he verified his purchase. He took the television home. But upon returning it, uh, the police um, were told that the person had returned. And now he's... They're at this, they're in, as I'm reading it, they are in the store. They have been confirmed that they were not the persons or uh, the the young, the black man in particular was not the person who had stolen anything. And yet, uh, these four police officers, the one who initially saw and did not re report, or however it was, he did not report it, or he did call for backup anyway. These four white polices, police officers take this this young black man and his mother and they aggressively arrest him. They, uh, they arrested the, the grandmother. She was just there and they, they arrested her and put her on the floor and all of that. Um, and it was all a, a case of misidentity and misinformation so this woman Marvinia Gray has filed a lawsuit against the city and the police department and um, that's where we are right now but it's but it just goes to show that there is a great sense of distrust a very great sense of distrust in the black community regarding systems institutions that are supposed to be working for us and the more we hear stories of this like this the more we hear stories of shootings like uh, the Aubrey case the more we hear shooting uh, stories of shootings like Breonna Tate case and any other things specifically catered towards the imagery of injustice towards black people in particular that again that just reinforces this this distrust we have I don't care how much stimulus money we get <laughs> um, no party specifically it doesn't matter if you identify conservative liberal independent progressive whatever you may identify across the spectrum of uh, political ideologies the reality is that once this impacts one person in our community it overwhelmingly impacts all of us in one way or another and there's we just got to be more um, aware assertive 
and addressing this, addressing this and making sure that the voices we are not only heard, but that those voices are accommodated. And I'm not talking about, you know, completely uh, changing the system or anything like that. Because we have people in the system. We have people leading the system. <laughs> we had a person leading the country, for that matter. And we still continue to see systemically. And I do use that that word lightly. I, I mean, or, um, systemically we see this happening. And although it's not occurring frequently, uh, it's statistically significant when it occurs. We shouldn't see statistically uh, 85% of crimes on black on black or black on black. We, and then, you know, maybe 3% of the crimes uh, are white on black. And we raise the profile of the white on black crime. While, <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds kind of crazy and conf uh, conflicting, but the reality is that 3% does more damage literally it does more damage to the mental and uh i, I would say emotional response uh because it, it gives this these stressors responses for black men in particular so even if we are approached by police if we are pro you know, if we are in the legal system or anything like that uh it's still we still have this sense of uh, I don't even know the word to describe it. It's just like we just have this sense of distrust. Like this system is not going to work for me. I'm not going to be proven innocent until guilty. You know, uh, it's not going to be like that. I'm going to be a criminal. I'm, if I'm pulled over, I have this anxiety that it might not end well. That shouldn't be. But anyway, I, I didn't intend to go as long as I did talking about that. But I just wanted to bring back that thought that I thought of, that I talked about last week. It's real. It's nothing that should be uh, laid aside, pushed aside. We need to address this as a country and as black people. We really do. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, we'll talk about the day's discussion. Church is opening back up. Should they or should they not? When or when, when not. So if you're not aware, I am a very, very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy and I would strongly recommend you if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. 
uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine. Photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of, you can find it on Skillshare. So, and I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to really love it. It's, it's worth it every single moment every single class and you'll, you'll love it you'll great greatly enjoy it go check it out skillshare.com slash zero today radio you may find it hard to believe but at one point in your life you're going to need access to reliable legal services legal issues can be confusing complicated and even a bit embarrassing that's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. And so we are going to be talking today about churches reopening. Now, uh, I, I've been in conversation with my church leadership team, uh, along with our connectional and uh, Episcopal leadership. And as of right now, we will not be opening any churches in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. That is as of right now. Now, uh, we are. We do have a strategic plan in place. When we do reopen, uh, my church has already begun the process of uh, taking steps that need to be taken before we reopen. That's that is completely sanitizing and deep cleaning the church, uh, preparing for an adjusted worship experience, as well as um, how we will be integrating. Um, certain elements of the worship into our uh, worship service and you know who will be there and I'm be honest with you that is a very difficult thing for uh, anybody to address but before I go there there's a story that I, I want to read and this comes from the old black church again want to give out uh, accommodations to Miss Ann Brock who is the um, she runs this site. Now, there are two stories, actually, I want to read. The first one is about a church that reopened shortly after, uh, in Georgia, that reopened shortly after the state opened and had to close again. So, uh, where is it? 
this story here says that a uh, 180 people were exposed to COVID-19 in a church in Boot County um, on Mother's Day when they had a service. Now that one person, one person, and this was in California. Okay, one person attended the service on uh, Mother's Day. The people were there, but that one person was in contact with other people, and more than a hundred people, hundred and eighty people who attended that service on Mother's Day in Northern California uh, have been exposed and contracted the virus. Well, let me let me put it that way. The story says that they had been exposed to it. Um, and so as a result of that, they are no longer having services. There is another story, another story that takes place in Georgia. And let me pull this story up. Okay, I may have been mistaken. But there's another story, it's either in Georgia or Tennessee, about a uh, a church where they had opened up again for service and the pastor decided to not have churches services anymore, any longer, until uh, they were deemed safe, largely because somebody was, I, I think a group of people were infected. Let me pull this up. I'm sorry. Apologize. You know, it's a little more difficult doing this. I'm, I'm pre-recording this show. So, yeah, just, just so you know. Um, and my browser is moving very slow. Okay, this is another. This is, this is another one. A church in North Georgia near Chattanooga. Uh, announced that it would suspend all in-person services because concerns of COVID-16 16 days after members were invited to allow to return to the sanctuary uh, now three persons have confirmed have been confirmed as not only have been exposed but have contacted contracted uh, the disease and that probably they exposed it to multiple families so even though the church took safety precautions and there were only a few dozen according to the story there were only a few dozen persons uh, or there were only a few dozen cases in that county uh, they still got the exposure now here's the thing no one can can prove that they got it at church so they're not they're not saying that the people came to the church would got the the virus or contracted the virus or were exposed to the virus at the worship service. That's not what they're saying. It just happens that three of those persons exposed um were in contact with members of that local congregation, and therefore because they were in contact with the members of the local congregation, there was a heightened awareness and concern that uh, other persons may have been exposed. Now, I am going to be honest with you and tell you 
that I I am fully aware that this virus will not be going away anytime soon, even after we return to the to the sanctuary. Even after we return to the sanctuary, there's still we still have to be extremely cautious when we do. Um now in churches like mine and smaller churches it's it's a bit of a testing situation testing situation largely because we know the fluctuation of membership we can see the fluctuation of membership if you have only 30 persons who attend church regularly then you can you know who's missing and you know more than likely why they're missing and, and when it comes to that case the smaller churches can in my opinion do a better job of facilitating safety precautions regarding who can attend and who won't attend and who who will attend uh, well, y'all get what i'm saying um because you know pretty much about churches like mine are family oriented i mean not family oriented uh but the the bulk of the membership are family members uh, I think I have about uh, three to four primary family groups in my church and those family groups know the conditions of their family members and it is likely that if one of their members has any sickness not only will I be informed as the pastor but uh, the entirety of the congregation will be informed and we will be well prepared should that person come to church we, we know what to do. The health ministry uh, at my church in particular wouldn't know what to do. Uh, now, when you talk about larger churches, that is where, you know, the concern comes. You know, you have a greater, a greater disconnect, you know, that may be, may be having cell. You may have cell groups, but those cell groups are not usually frequently frequented during the worship service they don't sit together during the worship service you know cell groups are for during the week and it's less likely that a cell group or home group pastor will uh, function in, in the role of a care pastor where they'll check in and see if everything's okay more than likely not they'll just be leading you know their responsibility is just to leave the weekly bible study or prayer group or whatever it may be not to uh, be the care pastor for uh their their group and well in some cases they may function like that but for the majority it's you know it's not that capacity so when you have larger congregations or congregations uh, i say about 500 or more it becomes more challenging you know to not only uh, facilitate who and who can attend and, and and where they will sit and all of that stuff but it's also uh harder to uh, track contact you know that's the that's the hard thing to do tracking who has contact been in contact with whom before during and after the worship experience whereas in a smaller church like mine it's less difficult to do that tracking we could see who was there we already know where they live we already know who they live with and we probably already informed about who they interact with during the week. <laughs> you know, that's that's just how it functions in smaller churches. So I believe smaller churches have the advantage in this case, only in this case, where tracking and um, diminishing 
possibly possibilities of exposure is um, is in their in their best benefit. You know, it works to their advantage. This just is what I I believe is not the gospel truth. It's not the CDC or anything like that. However, at the same time, we must be more adamant as to how we do that. Now, our governor has in Mississippi has issued some guidelines about how to go about doing it, and and I I, uh, I, I agree with them to the you know to a degree. And again, it goes back to the the congregation itself. I believe the congregation is self-aware. They do a better job of helping themselves and empowering themselves against this virus. That's just me. Um, now, the biggest thing that's going to change regarding worship is congregational singing, choirs, uh, all of that. And I go back to my, I'm just using my church as an example when it comes to this. Because my church, again, our sanctuary is is small. We, I think we have a capacity of about to 250 people, maybe 300. Um, so when it comes to sitting, we do have enough space within our congregation. And again, I'm aware of what our attendance is like weekly. So let's say if worship attendees in the you know the guideline says you can have up to 50 worship attendees well we have enough space where we can put those 50 uh, group them by family you know if they if that's what they want to or space them out generously where we can still not feel uh less connected and i don't know about you in the black church nobody really rushes to sit on the front row anyway <laughs> unless you're a deacon or you're on the mother's board in the Baptist church or other churches like that. Uh, but in Methodist church, nobody's really rushing to sit on the front row. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. Wherever I've gone to in most Methodist, con black Methodist congregations, to be more specific, that front row is usually sporadically uh, populated. <laughs> Maybe about, not more than 10 people. And especially if they have the pews, you know, they have the, two sets of pews, you know, row, vertical row, or if they have, you know, the three or four sets still, this not a lot. <laughs> it might be four or five people per pew. And, you know, you can space it space it out. But I, that's just funny. That's, I'm just saying that. Uh, oh, man, this chair is just crickety-crackety. I'm going to have to get a new chair because I know this is, this is picking up all over the place. Y'all just disregard the noise. I try to... I, I'll do better at it. But anyway, um, when it comes to the smaller churches, they do have the advantage. The larger churches are the ones going to really have to struggle with that. When it comes to the singing part, uh, again, using my church as an example, our choir loft is far enough away from the uh, initial pews, the, the first row of pews, that you could probably be safe, you know. And we have already quarantined an area specifically for the choir, so they, uh, we could easily spread them out as necessary. We don't have a large choir. Matter of fact, uh, we have four different choirs, and they could easily, they're small. You know, I think we don't have more than 12 people in each choir, so they can easily be spread apart 
and 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 we do have a fairly nice size choir loft. So we we can make the adjustment. I don't know how they would sound, <laughs> but we can certainly make the adjustment. Um, with the larger churches, that may be uh that may be an issue. I'm not concerned because I sit right in front of the choir. I you know I I'm not worried about getting anything from them, and I try to you know do as best I can you know because I sit right in front of them like most pulpits. You know the choir loft is usually behind the pulpit. But, you know, we'll just make that adjustment. I don't mind sitting on the front row. <laughs> I ain't got no problem not sitting in the pulpit. Or having my pool, the, uh, only one chair in the pulpit placed on the side somewhere. You know, I've seen a lot of churches do that. You know, instead of having the, uh, the pastor's chair, pastor sitting and associate minister sitting, seating in one space. You know, we, we can make the adjustment. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know why we've st stuck to that model when it comes to, well, I do know why, the symbolism of the the way the church is supposed to be structured and constructed. But that's, a neat, that's a, another thing. I said all that to say that um, we will be making the adjustments. It's going to be challenging, but when we go back in, yes, we're going to have to do more of housekeeping, you know, so for for one thing for for one limiting the worship experience now there may be challenges that you may have to go to multi-services and i've addressed this with my uh, church leadership staff yeah we can investigate going to multi-services uh i i don't mind doing that and i i know my members certainly would not mind if they can come earlier <laughs> and get home <laughs> earlier um, as well as the time constraint, and I know in the black church, I grew up in the Baptist church, and I never understood why we had church for three, four hours, you know, start at 11, you don't get home, <laughs> you don't finish service till a quarter to two, in some cases, I just didn't understand it, and now, prior to the, prior to the, the virus, and the sheltering in place, and all of that, we were, I think my service was, Averaging about an hour and a half max, an hour and 45 minutes max. That's with the sermon and the singing. And we had modified our service to address the timing issue. I was like, you know, we got to do better with time. So, you know, when it came to announcements, we we had to manage that. We put everything. Uh, this is another thing when it comes to singing in, uh, in, in our churches, you know, using the hymn is a, a very, very uh, integrated part of the worship experience, you know, holding the hymn book, physically holding the, the hymn book. Well, now we, we, we started restricting the hymn book and placing the words of the hymns on the screen uh, so that people could see and they would be, there would be no need. Matter of fact, our entire worship uh, experience was on the screen, so everything was on the screen from, from the opening processional song the uh call to worship the hymns the prayer chants everything was on the screen which reduced service time a great deal i mean so there was no having to wait for people to turn the page of the hymn no <laughs> um you know 
can't restrict people from praying. But, um, oh yeah, that's the other thing. In our churches, we have uh, uh, congregational prayer. And you would come to the altar, and in our case, you would kneel at the altar, and you would just wait. So when it comes to that, of course, we have the social distancing distancing in place where you still come to the altar you still kneel and they're already members standing on the on the uh aisles waiting to come they'll just be distanced six feet apart and uh, uh you know same with the prayer the altar rail at our church is long enough for enough people to be spaced instead of be crowded at the altar you know they can we can have up to i'd, I'd say a good eight people spaced six feet apart at our altar rail, and they can still pray. So that's one thing. Um, so, oh, and we did away with our bulletins. We did have one. We just have a program guide. So we will be limiting program guides. I, I We may restrict them all together, the same paper anyway. But as I said, we were, we were already moving toward that at my church, going paperless and all of that. So that was one thing that we were doing to be more proactive. Uh, now, for for multiple services, you know, there are some churches that already did that. They had to multiply multiple worship services, and that is fine. They can keep that that format and see how make adjustments for the social distancing and all of that. Um, and the virtual streaming and services, we already know. That now will become a staple of just about every church, and we are we're looking at how to we can great uh, really more uh, integrate that into our in-person worship experience. We didn't do it before. Every now and then, I would live stream a service or a special program. I would do that, uh, and we will continue to do that. We we now know because we've generated audiences from various areas you know uh creating a virtual campus and a virtual streaming experience for them because before i was just preaching i was sitting at my desk or standing in the pulpit preaching and they would not get a view of the entirety of the worship experience uh and now they'll be able to do that so that's that um what's the last thing when we go back to churches preachers uh, you might not like this but uh, me taking consideration your sermon length, I've I've done that, and I have, and I don't preach long anyway. I think my sermon averages twenty five minutes, uh, and every now and then I get happy, and I go about thirty. But um, I have restricted my time to the the window of between uh, eighteen to twenty two, twenty three minutes. That's it. Uh, 18 to 23 minutes is sufficient for the sermon because you're thinking about now time adjustment, uh, different audience, you know, all of that. And I know it's going to be hard for some people to do it. And of course, when the spirit, when the spirit hits you and move on you, you just got to keep on going and, and let that happen. But still be considerate of when you put preparation together, taking consideration, um, what are you going to say? And and formulate it, postulate that in a manner that could be easily delivered. Now, I'm not talking about, and this is one thing I've been uh, looking at when uh, and and trying to model. Uh, 
watching TED Talks, and the average TED Talk is about 15 minutes, and uh, the speaker is pretty pretty direct and gets their point early, and then expounds on what they're trying to do, what, what they're talking about, and I've used that model and, uh, regarding my virtual preaching. How can I get my message across and if I'm using the good black Baptist <laughs> preaching man <laughs> method <laughs> uh, no I'm just kidding um, if, if I'm following the the traditional sermon preparation model uh, my my three points and a close then I, I must be aware of how quick I need to hit those points and get to the close so if I'm going to be hooping, then I only need to be preaching about 12 minutes and do about three-minute hoop. And that's, you know, 15 minutes. Or set 16 minutes and a two-minute hoop. I know he's all right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But but yeah, that's just an idea. What would it, That's what it should look like. And, of course, every church is different. Every... Um, Every manner of preaching is different, and there are some who they they can get it done, and there are others it be more challenging. And this is just suggestion, but you just be more considerate in this adjustment. Be more considerate. All right. Um, I'm gonna say this one thing. This is another story I came across in the old black church, and I was gonna lead off with this story at first before I went into. What should be happening and not happening, you know, when our church is open. <laughs> There's a pastor um, in Douala, Cameroon, and that's the home country of my stepmother. Um, this pastor was going about laying hands. Let me, uh, here's it. It comes from churchleaders.com, but it's also found on the old black church website pastor from Douala Cameroon I'm not even going to try to say his name but his first name is Franklin believed to have died from the coronavirus recently engaged in efforts to distribute aid to those suffering in Cameroon due to restrictions necessitated by the virus he was also reported laying hands and praying for his followers who had the virus uh, the pastor passed away on Saturday May 16th but his family and followers attempted to prevent police and healthcare workers from burying his body in the hope that he would rise from the dead. You heard me right. The man laid hands. He did well in assisting those in need during this, uh, uh, the sheltering place there. But when he died, his members wanted to believe that he'd be raised from the dead. And of course, uh, they did not want his body buried. So, the crowds went to his what they what they had been told his followers had been told that he went to his retreat and that he was praying and uh, um, yeah while he was praying he died at least that's well anyway they were trying to bury his body and he was at home and they were trying to retrieve his body and bury it and his followers would not let him and it, was, it just and you can go to one of those sites, church leaders, or 
uh, the black church, the old black church, and you can see it. He was laying hands on those people who had the virus, were believed to have the virus. And this, this is the quote here. This is a pastor that has been laying hands on the sick and claiming that he cures COVID-19. If you the person that claims that you are curing COVID-19, you are dead. What about the fellow people that were affected by the COVID-19? Now that he is dead, I do not know how the people that he was laying hands on will be healed. That's what one, one official said, uh, who was a follower of uh, Pastor Franklin there. So, oh, it turns out he was a, he was a pre uh, candidate for president in 2018. Yeah, all right now. Garnered 23,000 votes, finishing in 17th place, uh, but losing. He was only 39 years old when he died. But I, I just want to say, you know, just got to take this so seriously. I'm a faith. I, be I believe in faith healing. Uh, I believe I've been healed uh, by God's divine grace and mercy. And I believe God has used me. Uh, as a vessel, as I prayed and laid hands on persons for various illnesses and have heard various testimonies of their being healed um, directly or from our prayers and laying of hands. And scripture does encourage the elders of the church to do so. However, n I, I don't claim the gift of healing. The gift of the healing comes from the Holy Spirit and he sees how that should be uh, handled. But I do believe God still heals. And I believe that if we pray for persons who are affected by this virus, they will be healed. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the pastor was a bit um, zealous. And um, <sighs> he's not the only one doing this, of course. He's not the only one who has succumbed from the virus after... Uh, after opposing the virus and um, I, I just I just think we should take this very seriously that's all I can say just take this very seriously this is nothing to play with it's changed our life and life from now on would be very differently but uh, my condolences and prayers go out to his family his children um, and his followers and I hope other faith leaders, pastors and preachers, evangelists, whoever you are, don't be foolish. When we get back into our sanctuaries, I know we're going to want to shout and buck and dance if we're in the black church. But let's not be foolish. We might not be able to shout. Uh, you know, you might get happy, preacher. You might want to dance. Just be be aware. You know, your dancing could be destructive. Now, yes, you are the Lord's holy temple. But uh, you are also in an earthen vessel. You know, you're a jar of clay. And as we know, there are many persons who are asymptomatic but have the virus. So we just got to be considerate. Well, anyway. That's my show for the day. I, I did not do a whole long show. I, I didn't think it was necessary. I I didn't want to ramble, but I am just 
I'm going to be praying as we continue to reopen. Um, and I do want to encourage you to continue following these guidelines. Continue your distancing practices. Wear masks in public. You know, even though restaurants are open. You know, just be considerate of your fellow brother and sister. We will get through this. And as vaccines are being uh, made and become more accessible, we will get back to the way things are. And, and you know. It might take a year or two or even three years before we get back to the sense of normalcy. But that's pretty standard after any catastrophe. So all we got to do is trust God, uh, love ourselves as we love uh, our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we will be all right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I want to invite you if you uh, have not done so. Go follow us on our social media, the Zeron Network on Facebook. Go there, listen to archived shows. Follow us on Twitter at Zeron Radio at Dr. L at Lorenzo T. Neal on Twitter, and um, become a patron, support us there for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon.com/slash Lorenzo T. Neal. You can help us out there. Visit the website. Go get your copy of my latest book. Um, and yeah, and by uh, and next week. Next week, I will be celebrating a birthday. I'll be celebrating a birthday. I'm not sure if I'm going to do a show or not. We will see. But I thank you in advance for your birthday greetings. Turning number 45 uh, next week. And I'm so grateful if the Lord should allow me to see it. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us and listen to us on all uh, your podcasts. Uh, Sites you are available on iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, wherever you can listen, you can find us. Thank you so much. God bless you and keep her. This is Dr. Neal, and I'm out.